burn your village to the ground. Shh, it's the film flavors. Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. Uh, we're back with our second deep dive of April, and we're continuing our journey into the Adams Family Tree, and we're talking Adams Family Values today. Yep, we are climaxing with the sequel to Sonnenfeld's Adams Family. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing Horror Comedy Month to a close. To a climax. To a climax. <laughs> oh, makes it sound fountainous. Yes. <laughs> well, one scene was, that dance scene was. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. It's wine bottles. Yeah. Anyway, so Adam's Family Values is a 1993 American satirical dark comedy film directed by Barry Sonnenfeld and written by Paul Rudnick, based on the characters created by Charles Adams and is obviously the sequel to 1991's The Adam's Family that we covered two weeks ago. The film features many cast members in the original film, including Angelica Houston, Raul Julia, Christina Ricci, Carl Strucken, Jimmy Workman, and Christopher Hart. Carol Kane replaces Judith Molina as Grandmama Adams, and Joan Cusack joins the cast as Debbie Jelinski. What a fantastic addition. <clears throat> the film focuses on a serial killer who woos and marries Uncle Fester for his inheritance, while Teenage Wednesday and Pugsley are sent to summer camp. Compared to its predecessor, which retained something of the madcap approach of the 60s sitcom, Adam's Family Values is played more for macabre laughs. What does a macabre laugh sound like? Like, <laughs> a little bit darker, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's like a villainous laugh. Whatever. A little bit more twisted, a little bit more dark, which, you know, which is why it's, of course, our favorite of the two. <laughs> yes. Um, the family values in the title is a tongue-in-cheek reference by Rudnick to the infamous Reflections on Urban America speech by then-Vice President Dan Quayle, in which he blamed the 1992 L.A. riots on a breakdown of family values, which caused much controversy and derision. Oh my God. What an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Did he misspell, like, like famously, like potato or something like that? I don't know. You know, uh, <laughs> it's funny. Famously, in a Civilization series, the, the big Civilization game that your husband and I play, yeah, the, like, one of the lowest scores you get is Dan Quayle. Just as Dan Quayle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got, like, Caesar and, like, shit at the top, you know? Like, fucking <laughs> Ramses the, the second and shit. The very bottom is, like, Dan Quayle. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about vice presidents lately, so it's so funny that this popped up when I was, like, you know, looking at different um, research pages for this, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, listeners, we're at a special time on our podcast where we're only thinking about one thing. <laughs> Boys. Homicide. <laughs> this is Adam's Family Values. How close are the contractions? Every 15 seconds, Doctor. Are you in unbearable pain? My darling, is it torture? Oui. <laughs> Forceps. Forceps. <laughs> Go ahead. What news? Father, what is it? It's an Adams. <laughs> he has my father's eyes. Gomez, take those out of his mouth. He's an adorable little baby. Fine. Rub it in. Children, why do you hate the baby? We don't hate him. 
We just want to play with him. Especially his head. You'll meet someone, someone very special. Someone who won't press charges. Isn't he a lady killer? Acquit him. Women must follow you everywhere. Store detectives. And the stork flew down from heaven and turned into a baby. Our parents had sex. Gomez and Morticia Adams, played by Irel Julia and Angelica Houston, respectively, welcome their third child, a mustachioed baby boy named Pubert. Older siblings, Wednesday and Pugsley, played by Christina Ricci and Jimmy Workman, openly loathe the new arrival and attempt to eliminate him in various ways. Pubert, a true Adams, cheats death each time. With the house a wreck and maybe feeling a little postpartum anxiety, Morticia decides to hire a nanny. The children run off every applicant until the arrival of Debbie Jelinski, played by Joan Cusack, a seemingly sweet, chipper, and innocent woman who was hired on the spot after proving to be effective with Wednesday, Pugsley, and Pubert. Uncle Fester, played by Christopher Lloyd, who has been pining for a romantic relationship, immediately becomes infatuated with Debbie, who, unknown to her employers, is a serial killer who preys on lonely, wealthy men. She is aware of the vast Adam's fortune and has her sights set on Fester. Wednesday and Pugsley are on to her, though, and she removes them from the situation by persuading Gomez and Morticia that they have been secretly wanting to go to summer camp. She corrects them. <laughs> corrects. <laughs> to their confusion and horror, the children are sent to the bland and waspy Camp Chippewa, run by the disturbingly cheerful owners Gary and Becky Granger, played by Peter McNichol and Christine Baranski. Lost in a sea of blonde, preppy children, Wednesday quickly makes enemies with the snobby Amanda Buckman, played by Mercedes McNabb, but befriends another misfit camper, Joel Glickman, played by David Grumholtz, who quickly develops a crush on her. The two, along with Pugsley, are oftentimes sent to the Harmony Hut, a tiny cottage decorated with flowers and inspirational posters, and are forced to watch Disney movies and musicals as a form of twisted punishment for being different. Meanwhile, though overwhelmed with desire, Fester finds himself too shy to speak with Debbie, so he enlists Gomez and Morticia to double date with him, where Debbie pretends to return his affection, and the two are engaged by the end of the night. After receiving the news, Wednesday and Pugsley are determined to stop the wedding. They attempt to break out of camp, but are caught, and their suspicions are confirmed when they find Debbie and Joel's schizos and serial killers trading cards. <laughs> However, the children briefly return home for the wedding, and then return to camp while Fester and Debbie head to a Hawaiian honeymoon, where she attempts to kill him repeatedly to no avail. Debbie bribes Fester with sex, saying that after they bone, he can never see his family again. As he is very horny, he reluctantly agrees. Debbie and Fester move into a lavish mansion, where Debbie forbids the rest of the family from ever visiting. Soon after, Hubert goes through dramatic emotional and physical changes. He becomes a blonde, rosy-cheeked, giggling cherub. <laughs> Morticia and Gomez are obviously horrified, but Grandmama, played by Carol Kane, explains that the changes were brought on by the sudden absence of Fester, and may be permanent if things aren't corrected. 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 <laughs> Meanwhile, back at Camp Chippewa. <laughs> how do I get to say that sentence? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this will be the last time forever. <laughs> okay. 
Meanwhile, back at Camp Chippewa, Gary and Becky have written a Thanksgiving play as a celebration of the end of the camp. <laughs> Amanda Buckman is given the lead role of the pilgrim heroine Sarah Miller, while Wednesday is cast in the secondary but still compellingly written role of Pocahontas. Pugsley, Joel, and the other misfit campers become even more at odds with the rest of the camp, but Wednesday has become inexplicably cooperative and even cracks a smile. At the performance, however, the children get their revenge. Wednesday has been faking her sweet behavior and leads the misfit children on a rebellion, where they burn the stage and tie Becky and Gary to a spit over an open flame. Joel and Wednesday share their first kiss before escaping the camp. Oh. For their three-week anniversary... Fester decides to cook Debbie a fancy meal. Debbie has placed a bomb in a gift box and leaves it with Fester while she goes to get champagne. She watches the mansion explode and Fester emerge from the rubble. She pulls a gun on him, but Fester is saved by Thing, who's driving Debbie's car. They race back to the Adams house with Debbie in hot pursuit. The family shares a brief reunion before being captured and strapped to electric chairs by a shotgun-wielding Debbie. Before killing them, Debbie Downer attempts to explain her life story through slides, citing a moment at 10 years old where her parents dared to get her a Malibu Barbie instead of ballerina Barbie. The horror! Baby Pubert saves the day by splicing two loose wires together, causing Debbie to be electrocuted when she flips the switch. Debbie is reduced to a pile of dust and credit cards, and is soon after buried in the family plot with the inscription, Debbie Adams, wife and psycho. Months later... The family has gathered to celebrate Pubert's birthday, where Fester meets someone that could end up being the love of his life, Dementia. During the party, Wednesday and Joel visit Debbie's grave. Wednesday announces that Debbie was sloppy for getting caught, and if she were ever to marry, she would simply scare her husband to death. Joel scoffs, but is suddenly grabbed by a hand that shoots out from the grave. As he screams, Wednesday gives a knowing smirk. The end. For now. I've just decided that uh, if I ever have a baby, I'm going to name it Pubert. (laughs) (laughs) Just to make it real awkward for all of my friends. (laughs) Okay. Maybe if I I get a pug, I'll name it Pubert. Pubert the pug. (laughs) There we go. Adam's Family Values was released on November the 19th, 1993, one week before the busy Thanksgiving long weekend. Its first weekend box office earnings of $14 million secured it the number one spot. However, it would fall to second place the following weekend behind the mega-successful Mrs. Doubtfire. The film would continue to drop in the box office in the weeks to follow, hitting the number seven spot by its fourth week in release. It would ultimately earn a worldwide total of $48.9 million against a budget of $47 million, a drastic change from the original film's gross of $191 million. That is a drastic change. <laughs> For real, yeah. And I think, you know, maybe later on in our discussion, we'll, let's talk about, like, why that box office sort of happened for this movie. Yeah, I think I, I, have, I have a few hypotheses. Let's do I. I wonder if they line up. Adam's Family Values holds a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes <clears throat> and is certified fresh. It has an audience score of 63% versus 64 or 66% for Adam's Family. 
The site's consensus reads, New, well-developed characters add dimension to this batty satire, creating a comedy much more substantial than the original. Metacritic has the film scoring 62 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews, and audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film a grade of B+. Janet Maslin, one of our favorites of the New York Times, wondered if the making of this sequel was sheer drudgery for all concerned, but answered herself by writing, there is simply too much glee on screen, thanks to a cast and visual conception that were perfect in the first place, and a screenplay by Paul Rudnick that specializes in delightfully arch-subversive humor. You know, get your shit together. She's a little bipolar in that review, isn't she? <laughs> I know. That's why I included it. Because I was just like, yeah. do you like it or not, Janet? Oh, Janet. <laughs> Damn like, it, Janet. Damn it, Janet. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Schickel, writing for Time, seemed to enjoy the film far less than Maslin. He called the film an essentially lazy movie, too often settling for easy gags and special effects that don't come to any really funny point. Fuck you, Nick. <clears throat> oh, fuck you. <laughs> Both Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert disliked the first film, and Siskel gave this one a mixed review, accusing Sonnenfeld of caring more about how the movie looked than how the jokes played. Unusual for a sequel, Ebert found it much better than the first film and enjoyed the various subplots and recommended it. So who who accused Sonnenfeld of doing that? Gene Siskel. Yeah, well... Wasn't he a cinematographer? He's dead now. Anyway... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I think anytime we're mad at Gene Siskel, that's pretty much what we say. We're like, well, you're dead. <laughs> well, so is Roger Ebert, and we we agree with him about half the time. We'll see. I, I like Roger Ebert. Yeah, rest in peace, both of you. But um, I would say that, yeah, this is something that I, I was like entertained, especially as a child, I think, entertained by the first one. But I remember actually sitting down in the theater to watch the second one, and I just remember being obsessed with it and blown away with it for you know, weeks after see- having seen it as a kid. I just loved it. I saw both in the theater. So much like Roger Ebert, I liked this one a lot better. Yeah. But you are significantly older than me, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck you. <yeah. laughs> By twos and threes of years. It's, it's not just Richard Schickel that I'm saying fuck to today. <laughs> it's my best friend and co-host. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> significantly older. I just look it. <laughs> No. <laughs> I'll have you know that I told someone I was 41 yesterday and they were like, what? Like, they were obviously flabbergasted. And I was like, well, how old do you think I am? And they were like 38. And I was like, that's not much different. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. how I think of you. I just, you said 41 just now. And I was like, what? So, oh, old fucking know. man. I was like, I, I thought you were at least 50. No, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, on my way. No, I think of you as like, yeah, like your late thirties, like me, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I still think of myself as my late twenties. I feel like a fucking teenager. So I mean, it's whatever. <laughs> but we digress. Yes. So it was nominated for a lot of awards. Yes. I don't know that it won. Oh, it did. It won a few, but it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Art Direction. Although it did lose to Schindler's List, as one does. Yeah, that sort of like dominated the Oscars that yeah. year, right? Ninety three was a hard year to compete. Yeah. Fuck you, Spielberg. Anyway, <laughs> at the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Actress, Musical, or Comedy, but An- Angelica Houston lost to Angela Bassett in What's Love Got to Do With It, yeah. which I don't consider a musical or comedy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, it is I mean, named after a song. 
there's music in it, right? But the movie's not about the music. It's about that horrible domestic abuse. And that's a drama if ever, right? So uh, honestly, I think if they weren't committing like category fraud by putting Angela Bassett in that in musical comedy, I think that Angelica Houston would have won. Category so. fraud. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Props to Angela Bassett. She was really good in that movie. Yeah. So. It was also nominated for a BAFTA for Best Makeup. And it actually won for the same thing at the Saturn Awards, though. That is correct. Also at the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Fantasy Film, Best Actress for Angelica Houston, Best Supporting Actress for Joan Cusack, Best Performance by a Younger Actor, Christina Ricci, Best Music, and Best Costumes. It also won again, Worst Original Song, uh, Whoop, There It Is by Tag Team at the Razzies. Yeah, so if there's a song written for the Adams Family, it's going to win a golden raspberry. Well, and maybe that's why Michael Jackson backed out, because he was actually contracted to do a song, but had to back out due to other uh, legal legalities of his contracts, I guess, with other studios. God, really? Yeah. Wow. He had written it and everything, and it actually was leaked, and uh, I think you can find it on YouTube. So I'm going to need to, because I'm kind of curious about that. It was nominated for AFI's 100 Years 100 Laughs, and in 2016, Playboy uh, ranked it number 15 on its 15 sequels that are better than the originals list. Okay. As for its legacy, we gave a very detailed history of the Addams Family in the episode two weeks ago, so go and check that out if you haven't already. So obviously our cast in this movie is very much the same as the last with a few distinct changes, right? So we've got uh, a new grandmama, right? Played by... The delightful Carol Kane. The delightful Carol Kane. Yeah, who it, it's just like... I, she got like maybe one to, like line to say, I think, to Debbie or and, and maybe like... Uh, at the baby when she's trying to make the baby not blonde or something but it's it's still fun to see her i don't know why there was a recast i can't find anything about that uh probably just you know normal busy stuff or you know too busy or or just a recast so i'm not sure but uh it was still fun to see her and as well as a couple of cameos right so we see cynthia nixon as a (laughs) like one of the potential nannies for pubert which was fun to see um Director Barry Sonnefeld plays uh, the, the pair of Joel, Wednesday's uh, love interest, and then Nathan Lane as a police desk sergeant, right? So I thought that was really fun. Yes, that's right. And uh, like we said a couple weeks ago, he played Gomez in the Adams Family musical, right? So yeah. good for Nathan Lane. I always like to see him pop up. And I was reading somewhere that David Hyde Pierce from Frasier is in there somewhere too, although I didn't clock him, so... I don't know. Yeah, he was but... in the he was in the hospital room when she had pubert. He like spanked the child. He was one of the doctors. Oh, okay. Yeah, and also um, the guy from Monk uh, was one of the military guys. Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of the Navy guys. I do love Carol Kane. Something about the way that her like voice sounds. I don't know. It's just like she's just so funny. She could just like look at the screen and just say something, and it's fucking hilarious to me. You know, <laughs> aside from the fucking when a stranger calls, she makes me crack up every time I see her. So, <laughs> well, that's the point. She's kind of a comedian, right? I mean, so what was that line that she says when they're talking about like, do you think that one of the children has to die if a new baby comes? And she's like, well, that's just not true. <laughs> Not, Not anymore. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has a couple of good lines. Yeah. Um, including to Morticia. I think the line is, and I've, I've written down a lot of 
of these lines just for our reference because there are so many good lines in this whole movie oh i'm fairly certain that uh, the greatest greater chunk of this podcast recording will be us like reciting some of these lines so morticia (laughs) says my baby is ill my husband is dying oh mama what shall i do and grandma says well you have a black dress (laughs) (laughs) so good yeah yeah but like you said earlier like the you know, most of the cast, the original cast is back, right? Especially for those of the family. And I know that we spent a lot of time last week talking about Angelica Houston and Raul Julia as Gomez and Morticia, right? But I think something that this movie does really well is put a lot of focus on the kids. Right? Yeah, including from the original cast, Mercedes McNabb, which comes back very cleverly as Amanda Buckman, the camper at Camp Chippewa, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, she was playing the, she played the Girl Scout in the first film. Right. And uh, and then we get some newcomers like Peter uh, McNichol as uh, Gary Granger and Christine Baranski, of all people, as Becky Martin Granger, which I love those two <laughs> the camp counselors. They're yeah, so, so good. good. I'm Gary Granger and I'm Becky Martin Granger. <laughs> <laughs> like the original Karens. For real. Oh, my God. <clears throat> yeah, they really are funny. And I mean, Christine Baranski is just exceptional at what she does right? yeah i just remember seeing her more and more like slowly and more and more like cruel intentions i remember seeing her in after this and in the 90s and then uh of course chicago when she played mm-hmm. lady sunshine or whatever for the radio show on chicago and then like later on just more she got her own tv show later on and she's been in more movies and uh it's really fun to see her yeah, in the '90s, I think she was on Sybil, she- like that Sybil Shepherd TV sitcom called Sybil or something like that. But I mean, like, she was the highlight of that show, from what I can remember from my youth. Yeah, but she's great, you know. And um, as always, like Christina Ricci really does carry this movie a little bit like she did the last one well we got some fantastic fabulous performances by our ladies right we've got christina ricci just reaching epic proportions in this in this film compared to even just the last one and she's just legendary in this film right and then of course angelica houston uh as morticia who's continuing the great performance that she was so nominated for you know in the previous film you know just perfect casting and then we get this newcomer for like a trifecta of fabulous actresses in this movie with Joan Cusack. Oh my God. <laughs> She's just fucking delightful. As Debbie Jelinski. <laughs> I mean, talk about an actress who's just great in everything that she's in as well. Yes. I mean, I can't think of a movie that she's in that I was just like, oh, she did a bad job or that was a bad movie. I think that she she's just wonderful when she's on screen. I think she's horrifically underutilized. I think she is. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like we need to see more of her. And um, I just feel like I see her less and less. She was Oscar nominated for God's sakes. You yeah. Know? I mean, like she was like in a smattering of like eighties, nineties and, and early two thousands. And I just don't remember seeing her much out of, after like school of rock. I haven't seen school of rock. So, you know, she was in it, <clears throat> but that's not Joan's fault. That's Jack's black's fault. So <laughs> <laughs> but she's, she's really good in this movie too. She cracks me up like all the way through it. It's so, so good. Mm-hmm. Well, let's walk our way a little bit through this movie. Okay. So the end of the original Adams Family movie from 1991 had a Morticia knitting a multi-legged baby onesie mm-hmm. to tell Gomez that she's pregnant, right? So obviously, this movie starts with uh, the arrival of Pubert. Yes, and it happens in the most 
the best way possible i love like just the polish on this script like every single thing is just a little bit neat and special right so morticia mm-hmm. was like i'm gonna have a baby right now <laughs> <laughs> this is like, like not even phased. she's nonplussed well part of this movie and the part of the shtick right is like the the constant you know uh contrast between the atoms and everything else around them right and and that's just the whole point and of course Everyone in the hospital, the doctors and nurses are freaking out. And you have Morticia just being the most calm person, obviously, like nothing's happening (laughs) situation, you know, asking if she's in pain. And she's like, you know, horrific pain, you know, (laughs) it's just, uh, you know, it's just one of those moments. And I just love it. And I love that 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 movie, this movie opens that way. And of course, Wednesday and Pugsley are in the waiting room. And um, I guess they're they're with this young girl, and she says, and then mommy kissed daddy, and the angel told the stork, and the stork flew down from heaven and left a diamond <laughs> or a leaf in the cabbage patch, and the diamond turned into a baby. <laughs> and Pugsley says, our parents are having a baby, too. And Wednesday says, they had sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot all about that moment, actually, because that little girl delivering that whole like little paragraph. <laughs> Yeah. It's so funny. So, uh, as you said, you know, well, I guess as you wrote in the synopsis, uh, Morticia is a little, I don't know, maybe a little postpartum, you know, uh, everything's a little intense. And so they decide to get a nanny and everything. I think her quote there is, I'm just like any modern woman trying to have it all. Loving husband, a family. It's just, I wish I had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade. <laughs> So, so say we all woman <laughs> yeah she wants she wants to have a little bit more from life now and um since the, the children wednesday and pugsley are constantly trying to kill their little baby brother they decide to hire a nanny yeah right? mm-hmm. so. so that we get all those nanny interviews where, where wednesday does like the like, little puppets <laughs> you know, i'll clean my room if i can have your immortal soul and it's the devil's <laughs> puppet <laughs> <laughs> but they run off a lot in like um you know montage fashion mm-hmm. until we get debbie jelinski and of course she takes all the weirdness in stride yeah she sort of like puts them in their place a little bit or just doesn't like freak out about it and she like comments on how cute the baby is and so like she wins over morticia like very fast you know yeah and she's hired like right then yeah because she's like i could just eat him up or something and yeah. <laughs> oh no, Tebby. Too young. <laughs> <Something like that. laughs> but yeah, it's I mean it's good. So she sort of wins over Morticia, which is you know, like we talked about in the last episode about the Adams family, you know, sort of acts as like the head of the family a little bit. And um but of course this is all because Debbie has some sort of like plan. Right? Yeah, she's the serial killer and she's trying to be the gold digging serial killer that essentially tries to get fester under her under her influence so that she can marry him and get all the family's fortune essentially that's right and things happen pretty fast so they have a double date with gomez and morticia because fester doesn't know like you know how to be a lady a ladies man he's not the lady killer that gomez is i guess yeah i think gomez is like you're gonna find someone someone who won't suppress charges but yeah debbie's just going on with everything and just acting so amused and and overjoyed with everything fester does which of course makes fester even more crazy about her you know we get that excellent scene with uh gomez and um morticia dancing i love that little little see it's kind of unnecessary for the story obviously but it's wonderful to see morticia and gomez you know dancing around like that 
in a much better like dance musical sequence than infinitely the better infinitely better the, yes yeah no one asked to see gomez and fester uh dance around you know we want to see more gomez and morticia right that's such a huge part of the first movie and uh one of the most endearing and wonderful things about this movie as well yeah i really like that dance sequence it's uh masterfully choreographed it just looks amazing and i mean there's some funny parts to it too so it doesn't lose its comedic value there either yeah meanwhile i think um you know debbie is sensing that (laughs) Wednesday uh, and Pugsley are kind of onto her. And so she convinces the parents to send them off to summer camp. That's right. She convinces them that they want to go to summer camp. Yeah. So. yeah. And they do. They send them to Camp Chippewa with uh, Gary and Becky Granger that we have just talked about. Yep. Um, and there's like, this is kind of where the movie kind of splits into two, di- two different experiences. We've got the summer camp experience and then we've got kind of like the honeymoon, like the marriage experience. And while, right. while Wednesday and, um, Pugsley do kind of come back for the wedding, you know, and then they, they go, they have to go back to camp. Right. And so it's kind of a, I'd, I'd still kind of like to talk about them a little bit separately. Right. Yes. I mean, because it's just, I mean, it's easier to talk about them that way. Right. Yeah. Two, two different plots going on in the movie. So let's continue talking about Debbie. While they go off to summer camp, let's continue our discussion about Debbie, right? And what she's doing with Fester. So they actually get married and they go on their honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and then they they get into their, their new house and uh, the, the Adams try and visit. And uh, we get that wonderful confrontation between Debbie and Morticia. You have enslaved him. You have placed Fester under some strange sexual spell. I respect that. But please, may we see him? Don't even think about it. You have gone too far. You have married Fester. You have destroyed his spirit. You have taken him from us. All that I could forgive. But Debbie... What? Pastels? Get out of my house! (laughs) It's like my favorite scene in the whole movie almost. Uh, Debbie, like, she's trying to kill Fester, like, immediately, too, right? Yep. Even before they get back, I mean, on their honeymoon, she tries to kill him in the bathtub. There's like <laughs> something else she tries to do, and it's just he's like impervious to death, you know? Yeah. So, um, and her frustration is just hilarious. <laughs> so, get out! <laughs> oh yeah. my god! I will say too. I mean, like. I know it's meant to be played funnily, right? But when she's seducing Fester and sort of like getting that plan of how he's going to be separated from his family, right? I mean, she really does like play sexy really well too, which is not normally what I think of when I think of Joan Cusack. Yeah. Let's rejoin Wednesday and Bugsley. At Camp, Camp Chippewa? Yeah. God, I can't even say that. Camp Chippewa. Mm-hmm. And and they're, they're meeting some of the other parents and... Hi, I'm Amanda Buckman. Why are you dressed like that? Like what? Like you're going to a funeral. Why are you dressed like somebody died? Wait, and this little lady? Oh, Wednesday's at that very special age when a girl has only one thing on her mind. Boys. Homicide. (laughs) (laughs) She really does have these amazing one-liners in this movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, especially uh, when we get... It is more about that, like that contrast between Amanda and Wednesday, right? Because then they have that those activities like uh, the swimming. That's true. 
Um, is that where like they ch- they choose Amanda to play a drowning victim, and Winslow <laughs> doesn't jump in to save her? Yeah, like Amanda's like, She's is- like, help me! <laughs> yeah, help I'm me. drowning. <laughs> yeah. Is that your bathing suit? Is that your overbite? Now one of you will be the drowning victim, and the other one gets to be our lifesaver. I'll be the victim all your life. <laughs> I feel like I need to use that like more often, like in my real life, when people say shit all your life. I'm going to. All actually. your life. <laughs> oh my god. Mercedes McNabb in this movie is just <laughs> super funny too. I mean, I like I like that they do this at the camp because like I mentioned earlier, I think that they learned a lot from the first Adams Family movie and they realized what gold they had with Christina Ricci yeah. and with, you know, Jimmy Workman playing Pugsley. Like the two kids were just so good. And, you know, they really, like, captured audiences in a way that I think nobody was expecting. And so when they made this movie, they smartly had an entire plot line just for the kids, you know, which is perfect because those kids are so perfect at this camp. I and mean, like the, the juxtaposition between them and all the waspy kids and things like that, because this is what Wednesday is going to start to experience in real life if she's going to school and things like that. So it's really neat to see. Yeah. And well, well written. Exactly. I, I could agree more. Uh, we also get archery practice where Pugsley kills the last American bald eagle, apparently. <laughs> I thought those are were extinct. extinct. Now they are. <laughs> now they are. <laughs> and the ghost stories where all of their old noses grew back. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. If you haven't watched this movie, you're probably completely lost. You know, but... But if you haven't seen this movie, like, really, hopefully... The, the reciting of these jokes should make you want to run out and watch it right now. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, we'll just lock you in the Harmony Hut where Pugsley and <laughs> Joel and Wednesday are at this point in the story and make you watch it Clockwork Orange style. What were they watching in the Harmony Hut? Was it the Sound of Music? Sound of Music. There was like Disney movies. They, yeah, I don't know. There was a lot. There was a lot going on. There was Annie. Uh, of course. Of course. Fun fact uh, the original Annie movie was actually directed by John Houston, Angelica Houston's father. Oh, wow, I didn't yeah. know that either. So I've seen that movie so many times. <laughs> that song will come out tomorrow. Yeah. I know every single word to every single song in Annie. Never There's seen another it. fun fact. What? <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but outside of the Harmony Hut, we have the Thanksgiving play that was written by Gary Granger, and it is the most prejudiced and <laughs> like unfactual rendition of the first thanksgiving yeah they have like wednesday playing pocahontas who actually died like four years before that from being carted around you know (laughs) yeah it wasn't even part of the fucking thanksgiving and um the thing that i have remembered all of my life because i saw this in the theater and the thing that i laughed at the most was when pugsley was dressed as the turkey singing that song and he goes Like, I died when I was younger watching this. And, like, for some reason, every time I think about this movie, that's what pops in my head first is, eat me. <laughs> kill me. <laughs> he walks up and kills me. And then, yeah, he has that whole song and there's a whole dance and everything. That whole sequence took, like, two weeks to film. Uh, because there's so much going I mean, on. Yeah. I mean, because his fucking play is just like a 
a fucking train wreck. They just have like the choreography of kids like crossing each other on the stage and like running about. It's a celebration of Thanksgiving. (laughs) I really think that Becky Martin Granger's husband is a Twitch gay. I mean, like, come on. He's like, don't you want to help him realize his vision? Well, you know something's happening, right? Because Pugsley's like singing. He's like one of the main characters playing the turkey, for God's sake. And then, you know, Pocahontas, like you, you got Wednesday, like smiling and being like, really weird like amanda impression and she's doing so well and so really like waiting for this other shoe to drop and finally it does and i love the whole dialogue there welcome to our table our new primitive friends thank you sarah miller you're the most beautiful person i've ever seen your hair is the color of the sun your skin is like fresh milk and everyone loves you stop sit wait what we cannot break bread with you. Huh? Becky, what's going on? Wednesday! You have taken the land which is rightfully ours. Years from now, my people will be forced to live in mobile homes, on reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. We will sell our bracelets by the roadsides. You will play golf and enjoy hot hors d'oeuvres. My people will have pain and degradation. Your people will have stick shifts. The gods of my tribe have spoken. They have said, do not trust the pilgrims, especially Sarah Miller. Gary, she's changing the words. And for all these reasons, I've decided to scalp you and burn your village to the ground. I mean, she deserves an Oscar just for that line. That would be her Oscar clip if she were nominated for the Oscars for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> for these reasons. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. But it's at the Thanksgiving play when everything's in a shambles and burning to the ground and the camp counselors are being cooked over an open fire <laughs> that um, Wednesday and Joel share a kiss and the kids all escape to go back home because they really, you know, ultimately want to save Uncle Fester. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, that's about the time when Debbie tried to blow up her mansion <laughs> and kill Fester. And I just love the whole thing with Debbie. Debbie, like Joan is so good in this movie. I remember she had a hearse show up when they arrived at their honeymoon or their new house or whatever. And there was like, where's the body or your husband's alive? And she's like, tell me about it. <laughs> she didn't try and hide anything. <laughs> was she like pretending to cry to you before the mansion blows up? And she's oh. like, oh. <laughs> I mean, this really is like the Joan Cusack heyday, right? Like after Adam's Family Values, yeah. she was in like In and Out, right? Where she's so good in. So, she I mean, was like, a these, nominated like, for Academy Award for that performance, I believe. Yeah, yeah, best supporting actress. Mm-hmm. Like she really probably should have won. Um, but yeah, like the mid '90s was like just Joan Cusack heyday, and I really would like to see more of her. Yeah, but we get she actually gets her big moment in the movie, which is kind of the final confrontation because she, uh, as you know, Pugsley and Wednesday had gotten home and Fester had escaped ahead of her and he got home. Everyone was reunited. But then, of course, she gets home and. I don't want to hurt anybody. And everyone's, the fucking slideshow, though. Is, oh, yeah. Is, everyone's tied up in the electric chair. And I, I love her quote here, too. I don't enjoy hurting anybody. I don't like guns or bombs or electric chairs. But sometimes people just won't listen. 
And so I have to use persuasion. And slides. My parents, Sharon and Dave, generous, doting, or were they? All I ever wanted was a ballerina Barbie in her pretty pink tutu. My birthday. I was 10. And do you know what they got me? Malibu Barbie. Malibu Barbie. The nightmare. The nerve. That's not what I wanted. That's not who I was. I was a ballerina. Graceful, delicate. They had to go. <laughs> Malibu Barbie. Malibu Barbie. <laughs> oh my God. That's not who so I was. I was a ballerina. Graceful, <laughs> delicate. They had to go. I love how Morticia and Gomez react, though, because you expect them to just be like wanting to save themselves, but they actually empathize with her. (laughs) (laughs) It's just such the tragedy. The real tragedy here is that Debbie would have really fit well into this family. Yes, she would have. She would have been perfect right there. Right. I mean, obviously she was sort of like repulsed by Fester or whatever, but, and I think, you know, after she is killed, right. When the electric chair is malfunctioned because of pubert, right. And she disintegrates into a pile of like ashes and credit cards. (laughs) (laughs) um they bury her in the family plot yeah. you know i mean like the adams they're a family through and through they were really married she married fester yeah. yeah and so they're gonna treat her like family no matter what i mean and really being strapped to an electric chair is just a fucking tuesday for the adams family <laughs> they did it know? in the previous movie that's right you know so i mean <clears throat> they have them in their house for god she didn't have to look for an electric chair they had enough for the whole family so i mean like it really is just just perfect right so she should know they're all immortal by then you know what i mean yeah i mean there's something going on with the family that i mean they're gonna they're gonna survive no matter what you throw at them knives axes whatever (laughs) but uh just like in the first movie we have a little epilogue where the family is coming to celebrate something and this is for pubert's first birthday well one one thing i've actually forgot that i love so much was that when pubert is saving them there's actually some weird shenanigans of physics right and so he gets you know to to get him in that situation where he's able to put the wires together to electrocute her instead of his family pubert's like crawling along and he gets like catapulted through the roof and just basically space (laughs) by a bowling bowling ball and like a you know leverage from a board of flooring or something and goes Mm -hmm. up and and his head comes up into a window of an airplane (laughs) and it's amanda her family from camp (laughs) (laughs) and they just like they're just so like you can tell they're so traumatized that they just like close the window (laughs) (laughs) The actors that play her parents are also really good. I mean, they're like good character actors that I see all the time yeah. that I always forget until I see them in things. Really. Yeah, I, I almost thought that was um, uh, Moira Rose. No, uh, the woman who plays Amanda's mother is um, she's uh, like a, she's on Frasier, right? She played somebody on Frasier. Just ex- oh, it's his, his agent or something yeah. like that. She's so funny on that show. But yeah, I totally forgot about him flying up into the airplane. And that's another reason why I like this movie because it's just silly. You know, I mean, like, it's like borderline naked gun airplane kind of silly yeah. in moments. Oh, yeah. And I really appreciate that kind of humor, you know? So, mm-hmm. well, it strikes a balance. It does, right? Yeah. 
So just like in the first Adams Family movie, we have an epilogue where the family are coming together to celebrate, right? And this time it's uh, Hubert's first birthday, and Fester finally gets to meet someone that could be his potential life mate. That's right. And uh, that is Dementia, cousin It and Margaret's new nanny. Because <laughs> they have that little baby It. Yeah. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, oh, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, his name is What? <laughs> <laughs> and of course uh uh when they meet i love it. it's like fester's like um my name is fester it means to rot <laughs> she's like my name's dementia it means i'm crazy i don't know <laughs> Something like that. and it's funny because earlier uh debbie said no one in their right mind would ever love you right and so he meets someone mm-hmm. named dementia <laughs> so someone not in her right mind obviously loves him yeah. <clears throat> they have a moment right and then um i'm glad that we get to end this movie with uh wednesday right yep. who's sort of like dressed as her mom a little bit she has like a tighter dress on and she's out with joel who's sort of dressed as gomez and um they have that conversation about debbie and you know uh, Wednesday attempts to scare him to death. Like she's already planning on marrying him, so get the scaring done early, right? Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that was? Uh, do you think that was Debbie's hand? Either, either Debbie coming back to life, or uh, Debbie being Debbie's body being manipulated by some sort of machination of Wednesday? Or do you think that was Thing going along with Wednesday's prank? I think it was Thing. Yeah, and I mean, it had to have been Thing. I think because Thing would do that for her, yeah. and also like Debbie was nothing but dust and credit That's cards true. by the yeah. end of it. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. good point. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think it was either Thing or Pugsley. Yeah, you know. So, but it's so funny to see her like smirk and hear him scream, and that's just like the close of the movie. Yep. It's great, and then we get into the wonderful the Adams family womp by tag team. <laughs> oh, the Adams family, there it is. As, I think that's like all the lyrics in that yeah. song too. I don't think there's I think any there's, more I th- than that. Yeah, I think there is. I'm not sure, but you could be right. Uh, but since we get to end the movie on Christina Ricci, I would like to ask a question, and that is, where the hell is Christina Ricci? Well, she had her own show. Uh, she's been in some a smattering of movies, and she's been up for a smattering of awards. I feel like she's consistently here. It's just not anything huge or well known. Like she was in the. Um, what it was like they were the beginning of everything or the origin z the origin of everything the last thing i remember her from really was when she was playing lizzie borden but that was on like lifetime you know oh, wow. i really thought when i was younger and you know when she was in things like mermaids and adam's family and one of my favorite movies from 1998 um, um the opposite of sex right like she really became this like indie darling and i really thought that we would be seeing christina ricci like all the time you know yeah. and i will never never forgive the academy for not nominating her for monster opposite charlie's throne oh my god yeah i, I you know and i've yet to see some others I, I never saw black snake moon i never saw penelope i never saw speed racer um and those are movies that i could i was interested in i just never went and saw she you know has she's been consistently in movies at least one or two a year seems like and uh, she's in uh, a a supernatural horror film coming out i think in 2021 called monstrous 
Oh, really? Yeah. Well, and that's that's another thing about Christina Ricci that I really appreciate is that she doesn't shy away from doing some darker things, even like Penelope, right? Where she's got that pig nose mm. through the whole yeah. movie. Um, but I mean, she was in Cursed, right? It's the Wes Craven movie. She was in Sleepy Hollow, you know, like she really does some darker stuff. And I mean, I, I appreciate that, too. I just I like her so much as an actress. Right. Mm. And I just I mean, maybe I just want her to be in everything. And so I just, I just feel like I haven't seen her in anything huge like you said over the last couple of years and talk about you know woefully underused so people start casting christina ricci please yeah so z the beginning of everything was actually um oh is that where she played zelda rubenstein, <laughs> zelda rubenstein. <laughs> no it was, it was an amazon original show uh, about uh the of course the socialite and writer zelda sayer fitzgerald who was of course yeah in the 1920s the um you know in her marriage to to author f scott fitzgerald right and so it was kind of a, right. a lot about that and so i think it was uh canceled only after one season but i think it was fairly well liked yeah i mean maybe she's just doing a lot of tv lately and i don't really watch tv so maybe that's just why i haven't yeah, I mean, she's she was on Saving Grace and Grey's Anatomy, um, Allie McBeal. Hell, she was a voice in The Simpsons back in the nineties. Um, yeah, she played Lizzie Borden Chronicles. Yeah, um, I think she was on Pan Am too, like that show that was like famously canceled after like four or five eleven episodes to, or to, shows like eleven that. to shows twelve Pan Am. Yeah, fourteen episodes, mm-hmm. um, and she was the main role in that too. But she's also been in movies almost every year, like I said. Uh, Twenty twenty, she's in a movie called Percy. Um, Really? Yeah, bi- biographical drama film. I'm not sure about it, you know, but she's also in a, a horror movie uh, with um, Liam Neeson called Afterlife. I've never even heard of these movies. My God, maybe just start. Yeah, a psychological horror <laughs> doing film. some research. She's in a morgue and she comes back to life, and it's Liam Neeson, Christina Ricci, and Justin Long. Oh, I love Justin. Yeah. Long. Okay. You know what? I'm making a whole list of things to look <laughs> up now. Great. I'll get my Christina Ricci fill. Yep. And sadly, you know, like we talked about a little bit in the last Adams Family episode, um, you know, Raul Julia sort of died much earlier than, you know, everyone thought very young and um, 54. So 54, that's incredibly young. And he was such a gifted actor and, you know, is still missed today. But this was his final film. So um, he died within a year of of uh, of this film being released, I believe. And I think that I've read quotes from angelica houston or maybe we talked about that on the last episode about how she sort of felt like something was off with him during this filming or she could tell that something was wrong yeah and, and it died like shortly yeah he had had some trouble so. eating and was losing weight um but yeah he, he died fairly soon after that yeah super sad i really like real julia he's in a lot of great movies mm-hmm. but like we talked about earlier in our little history section um adam's family values made just like almost $2 million more than what it cost to make the movie. Right. So it barely turned a profit. Right. Whereas the first movie grossed almost $200 million just a couple years earlier. So what the fuck? I don't understand how that could possibly happen. Yeah, I have a couple of hypotheses, right? So if we go back to that Rotten Tomatoes score, right, which was, um, this is 77% on Rotten Tomatoes by the critics, but as an audience score of 63% versus the first one actually had lower scores. Um, you know, for, from the critics, but higher for the audience. And so I think this got a little dark for them and possibly the marketing was even a little dark. I'd have to go back and watch that trailer, mm-hmm. you know, but it also came out around the same time as the surprise mega hit, Miss Doubtfire, right? And if it was going to go see a family, an edgy family comedy, 
you know, quirky family comedy around that time was going to be missed out fire because of that buzz. And so I think that's the main reason, you know, you know, like, let's think about like releasing sunshine at the same time as like a star Wars movie, you know, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree with that. <clears throat> um, you know, so like the original was released on November 22nd and this one came out around the same time. Right. And I would, you would think that after the kind of success that the original movie had that they would throw it in on that Thanksgiving weekend. But obviously people were already talking about Mrs. Doubtfire. It's Robin Williams. And so they rightfully did not put it in, you know, up against that movie, which I think would have been, more disastrous than what this box office ended up being, right? I really think that it was just a a problem of release date for this movie. I think that people still liked it, you know, but um, I think they probably should have like released it sometime in October and really cashed in on that, like, let's take the children to see something a little bit dark. You know, they can't go see a horror movie. And I think they would have just like been raking in the cash if they would have just released it a little bit earlier, you know? But that is quite a difference in box office, like shockingly different. Yeah. But it, and we don't even know if it made his money back or if it was a bomb or anything else. It doesn't say that. But um, I would assume that uh, I, I know that when people talk about these movies, that this was the, the one that's beloved, at least by the cult, you know. And so I feel like it's more than made its money back in like video sales and rentals and and things like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it found, you know, a good home on, you know, home home media. Yeah, right? VHS and, almost immediately, I would say. Yes. And so I think that, you know, people have latched onto it and watched it a lot more. I certainly have seen this one more than I've seen the original. Yep. So because it's just better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even. The, yeah. Uh, despite a couple other things. But I, th- I think we're about done here. So I do have some fun facts for you. Okay, let me have them. Yeah. So uh, I don't really have many for this. I only have three, and they're kind of so-so, right? So uh, okay. Carol Kane, who plays Grandma Ma, is almost actually a year younger than Angelica Houston, <laughs> who plays her her daughter, Morticia. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Carol Kane's face just like lends itself to like pounds of makeup, though. You know what I mean? So it's easier to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So for my second one, when Wednesday and Joel Glicker see each other for the first time at camp, a lot of people miss this. Pugsley can be seen trying to hang himself in the background. What? <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah. That is dark shit. <laughs> and for my third and last, Joan Cusack's favorite scene was the electrocution scene from the Malibu Barbie speech. Right. And she can also uh, she also had to walk around the studio for a day with the electrocuted hair that went straight up. <laughs> And everyone she passed would say, nice hair. I'm sure she really did enjoy that, actually, though. (laughs) I'm sure she played that up a lot on set. Well, those were fun. Um, But we have some questions to ask about Adam's family values. And let's start with, is Adam's family values a horror movie? Not really. Same as the first one. Yeah, whenever we get to shooting the flames next week, guys, we've already gotten some comments from people who disagree with us, and they have made their case as to why Adam's Family is a horror movie. Um, but I don't think so. I think it's just really a dark comedy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... So yeah, there's I, there's I obviously know. it's in the Venn diagram, right? There's some adjacency there, but it's like a, a, a really thin little sliver. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, and it's, we don't say that that often on this podcast. I mean, we kind of almost sort of like encompass horror into just about anything that we watch, you know, and you I mean, I can see some of the horror aspects, but by and largely, I would say no. So were you scared? No, no, just laughed yeah. a lot. <laughs> 
All right. Out of uh, five stars, what would you rate Adam's Family Values? You know, it's funny. Even though this is my favorite of the two, I enjoy the first one just as much. It's just not as iconic, right? So I had to kind of land at the same place. And so I actually give it a four star. Oh, I gave it four stars as well. But um, the last one, I think I gave like three or three and a half. Yeah. I, I like this one a lot better. I think the performances are equally as good. I just think that they wisely, like we said earlier, you know, utilize the children more. I think the writing's a hell of a lot better in this mm-hmm. one. And it's just funnier, you know? I mean, like the first one, I think I chuckled a couple times. But, you know, this one, I was guffawing with laughter like the yeah. whole way through it. Yeah. So. If I was still giving 0.5s, this would probably have a 4.5 or something. Yes. Um, it's like this one, th- this one is a, uh, is a high four. And I, I feel like Adam's family is like, uh, is a low four, you know, but there's still fours for me. I mean, they're both like excellent movies. And, you know, like we said before, I think a lot of people, when they look at this cast, they're going to think Adam's family first, you know, out, out of all the work that they've done, they'll be like, Oh, from the Adam's family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So certainly iconic, like you said. Finally, uh, who's the hottest guy in Adam's Family Values? I'm going to say it again, Raul Julia. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. There's really not, you know, a whole bunch of options, right? But I mean, Raul Julia has some sort of charisma going for him. He's an attractive man, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. It's certainly not Peter McNichol. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was he also? He was in Ghostbusters too. As like a possessed painter guy, restorative painter. Was with Sigourney fucking Weaver? Yeah, <laughs> he was like he was in love with Sigourney fucking Weaver, yeah. right, or something like that. He worked at the same uh, paint restoration or gallery or whatever. Yeah. He's a character actor. He's been in a ton of shit, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of TV. So he's been around forever. But I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Adam's Family Values. We want to know what you think about our conversation and the movie itself. You can find us on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or you can call us at 972-666-7733. Is that your voicemail or is that your overbite? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> make your voice heard america uh head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers to catch all of our bonus content and this month we are talking about deadpools one and two to completely cap off our horror comedies month that's right and if you enjoyed this episode or any other please don't hesitate to review us on apple podcast or itunes you can leave us a five-star review of why you liked us you can also review us on facebook or any of the other apps that you deem worthy or have access to uh but of course it's always apple podcast and itunes that are the most helpful for us because that's just the way the fucking world works <laughs> <laughs> but i digress we'll read those <laughs> we'll read those reviews on our next shooting the flames so do it all right chris Let's go off into the night and accost people about their overbites. <laughs> <laughs> is that your segue or is that your overbite? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have an overbite too. I take offense to that. <laughs> okay. Until next time. Sweet, Sweet dreams. dreams. Malibu Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
god, she's so good. Oh wait, we're finished with the Adams family. It's the last time I can do this. <laughs> they never once have a double snap in these movies, and it pisses me off. <laughs>